you have your Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 7 quickly tonight. I'm not going to waste any words. We're going to get right after it. Pastor, thank you for teaching me how to take care of staff, how to honor them in that way. Um, we've got a bonus check for you too, but you're not getting it till later because I can. <laughs> One of the things that makes Pastor a good pastor is his authenticity and the fact that he's transparent and he's humble in that regard. I hear it from other preachers that call me and have him in and say, man, you know what I like about your dad? He's just real. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. He continues to model to me how to be a man of God and will always model that to me. I'm very, very thankful for that. We're continuing in the series, Wisdom That Works. We've been here a little bit already, um, but uh, we, we still got some work to do. And so I need you to stay plugged in and tuned in, and I promise I'm not going to waste words. We're going to get right after it. We won't read the text because we're going to flow through it, but I want to make this statement to start, and I think you'll agree. Humans have a propensity for choosing paths that do not lead in the direction they really want to go. Did you get it? Humans have a propensity for choosing paths that do not lead in the direction they want to go. A high school student who's a freshman and tends to graduate with a GPA that will afford him options as he selects a college, but for four years he neglects his studies. Newlyweds determined to be financially secure by the time they re reach their parents' age, but they adopt a lifestyle sustained by debt. A single woman says, I want to meet and one day marry a great Christian guy who's really got his act together, but then she dates whoever comes her way as long as he's cute. Married woman says, I want to have a great relationship with my husband, but she makes the children a priority over him. Father says, I want my kids to respect me as they grow up, but he's one thing at home and another thing at church. A man says, I want to grow old and invest the latter years of my life in my grandchildren, but then he neglects his health. A couple says, we'd like our children to develop a personal relationship with God and choose friends who have done the same, but then they skip church every weekend to go to the lake or play sports. A young Christian says, I want to develop a deep and lasting intimacy with God, so he gets up every morning really early and reads Facebook. See, for most of our decision-making, we lean hard into our intentions but pay very little attention to our direction. We have lofty dreams but we're not on the path that leads to seeing those dreams become a reality. And honestly, it breaks my heart how many people I see who don't connect the dots between the choices they make and the outcomes they've experienced. They, realize, they, they feel like if their heart's in the right place, whatever that means, and if they try their hardest, that, that their life's going to end up okay no matter which path they choose to take. But that's not how life works. It doesn't work for me to say I want to go to Amarillo, Texas, and so I get in my car and get on Highway 54 and head east. Even though I want to go to Amarillo, I'll get to Wichita because the path I choose determines where I'll end up. An author, I don't agree with all of his theology, but he's writing this. His name is Andy Stanley. He calls it the principle of the path. Your direction determines your destination. Not your intentions, not your dreams, not your goals, not even your prayers. Your direction. You can be praying in one direction and walking in the opposite. 
In other words, you can't outpray stupid decisions. The reason I bring up this principle is because of how prone we are to disconnect our direction from our destination, specifically in the area of sexual sin. As Proverbs 7 is going to illustrate this principle perfectly. The latter part of chapter 6, which we discussed last week, introduced to us how to avoid sexual sin. And we define sexual sin like this, any sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. It's very, very easy to understand. The disconnect between our direction and destination often happens with sexual sin. I mean, think about it. Nobody intends to mess up sexually. There's not a teenage girl in here that wakes up when she's 14 years old and says to herself, I want to get pregnant and have a baby my freshman year of high school. There's not a single guy in here who wakes up one day and says, you know what? I want to become a porn addict. There's not a married person in here who at the start of their marriage says, I want to commit adultery and betray my spouse. Yet what happens? Teenage girls get pregnant. Men become porn addicts and and marriages are devastated daily by adultery. Why? Not because anyone intended for those things to happen, but because one day they decided to take a step in that direction. And before long, one step turned to two and two turned to four and inevitably their direction, not their intentions. Determine their destination. So in Proverbs 7, Solomon uses kind of a dynamic teaching device in telling his son a narrative. He talks about a young man who disconnected his direction from his destination. A young man that never intended to have his life wrecked by sexual sin, but because he went down its path, he got caught in its trap. With that being said, the chapter shows us three steps. On the dangerous path of sexual sin, step number one is a step of direction. That involves going to the wrong place at the wrong time. Look at verse number six of chapter seven. For at the window of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding. So Solomon gives us the setting for the narrative. He places himself looking out the window at this young man. Solomon, again, is using a dramatic teaching device and a narrative to get his son's attention and to keep his son's attention. Who knows? Maybe he's telling his son the story of his own life when he was a kid. The life immersed in sexual sin that he lived. He places himself, if you notice, in an elevated position, an objective position, a position where he can see farther down the path than the young man can see who's walking down the path. Young people, would you listen, please, that the position your parents are in are in the window. Your pastor's in the window. Your grandparents are in the window. Your youth pastor, he's in the window. And we might come across picky as to what you wear and where you go and what you watch and what you listen to and what you're doing on your cell phone and who your friends are and who you're texting and who, what you're doing on social media. But just understand where we're coming from. We're looking out down at you through an elevated position, an objective position. Uh, we're looking out the window and we can see farther down the path, not because we're smarter than you, not because we're more godly than you, not because we're less prone to sexual sin than you, but because we We've been down that path before. We can see farther than you can see. So understand, when, when, we are, when, when we are urging you to sexual purity, we are coming from a place of deep concern. What did Solomon see? He saw a simple one. 
What is that? It's a naive one. It's a gullible one. That's a vulnerable one. That's one that lacked the discernment necessary to rightly evaluate people and circumstances. He didn't see a stupid one. He saw a simple one. He was simple simply because he was young. It had nothing to do with his lack of intelligence. It had everything to do with his lack of experience. And so he noticed the first step he took was to the wrong place in verse 8. Passing through the street, Solomon says, near her corner. And went the way to her house. This is going to be the woman that he interacts with. Or in the context of the strange woman, the, the, the adulteress. The one that we're tempted to commit sexual sin with. And just because he's saying her, he's only using the, the, the feminine language there because he's talking to his son. So don't think I, 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 I'm, I, I'm, I'm sexist up here saying that all women are, are potential adulteresses. and That's not where I'm going. He's talking to his son, so he uses a, a girl in the narrative. If he was talking to his daughter, he'd use a boy. Now whether or not he went there on purpose or stumbled upon the path is unknown. But he forsook a principle that Solomon told him in Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 8 that says, remove thy way far from her and come not nigh the door of her house. Don't even go close to sexual sin. And and it's true that often the first step on the path of sexual sin is generally a step into the wrong place, a step into the bar, a, a step into the club, a step into the wrong party. The wrong website, the wrong social media app, the wrong social media friends, the wrong social media private message, the wrong text message, the wrong conversation at work or at the gym or at the Christmas party. All it takes is one wrong place to get us started down the path of sexual sin. But the danger doubles in intensity because the next verse shows us that that he wasn't just in the wrong place. Listen to me. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Look at verse number 9. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. He had no business being in this neighborhood during the day, let alone at, at the nighttime. John Kitchen, my favorite commentator of Proverbs, says, The combination of location and time often proved to be a morally fatal combination. I'm talking about getting a flirty text message from somebody that isn't your spouse is one thing, but getting it at a time when your spouse is out of town intensifies the temptation. Having an in-depth emotional conversation with that guy or girl at the gym that isn't your spouse is one thing. Having that conversation at a time when your marriage is struggling intensifies the temptation. Having your cell phone in your room by yourself is one thing. Having it all to yourself in your room at night intensifies the temptation location plus time equals a equals a morally fatal combination so what are we to do based on that observation here's what you're to do put on the lord jesus christ and make not provision for the flesh be sober be vigilant knowing that your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour if you're not sober listen if you're not vigilant you will find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time and if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time you better believe that you will be met by sexual temptation verse 10 proves it and behold there met him a woman the first step on the path of sexual sin a step of direction being in the wrong place at the wrong time here's the second step a step of duration that involves staying too long he chose to endure this woman in verse 10 that says had the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart notice she wasn't a harlot 
She was just dressed like one. She was dressed immodestly and provocatively. Verse 11 and 12 give indication that she's loud and stubborn, that her feet abide not in her house. And verse 12 says she's without, now on the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So her personality, listen to me, it's a combination of subtle and stubborn. And if I was looking in the window like the old man was that night down at the young man, I think I would have grabbed a megaphone at this point and I would have screamed, stop. Stop right where you are. Her attraction is going to lead to your destruction. She's beautiful and she's clever, but she's dangerous. Get out now. But before the old man in the window could say a word, this woman made a physical advance towards the young man in verse 13. So she caught him and kissed him. Now you know the young man's heart was racing just because he was standing in front of a pretty woman dressed like a harlot who was actually interested in him. But now his heart's leaping because she made the first move. The first move in a culture where women didn't even let their hair down in public. Let alone make sexual advances toward a man. It's unfortunate that, that, that women prowl after men just as much as men pursue women today. But in this culture, this wasn't the case. This young man had to have been shocked. It should have signaled to the young man, uh, this girl's not a good idea. But he stayed around, and it didn't stop there, because after she kissed him, she began a conversation and spoke to him for the first time. And the end of verse 13 said she did it all with an impudent face. What does that mean? She had a brazen look on, his, on her face. The young man had a look of shock because the woman just kissed him. She had a look of confidence, of poise, of determination. She didn't care about him. She cared about fulfilling the goal at hand. And she spoke to him in verse 14, watch. I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. This is interesting. Her flattery actually started on a spiritual level. Where she made herself out to be someone she wasn't. She implied that she was a godly woman. I don't know about you, but to me it's a shame when people use God to get what they want. The peace offering didn't mean anything to her. She had no real peace with God. Hey, listen, just because a young man or a young lady goes to your church or goes to your Christian school or attends your youth group and says they're Christian doesn't make them appropriate dating material. And I'll say this on behalf of the church, that just because a man or a woman is a member of this church in a position of leadership in this church, stands behind a pulpit in this church, does, auto, does not automatically mean they are living out biblical Christianity. We can put on a show with the best of them. In my opinion, the young man should have picked up on her hypocrisy. When she began to say that she was spiritual, he should have said, you're not dressed real godly. You already kissed me. That's not godly. That's not what ladies who have peace with God do. He should have got out of there. But he stayed. Look at verse 15. Therefore came I forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. She makes him feel like she was out there just for him, that he's special to her. And I, I see this all the time with how men convince vulnerable girls and women to sleep with them by saying things like this. You're the most important girl to me. I've never felt for someone like I feel for you. They don't say it nowadays. They text it. Oh, it's not the same with anyone else. Just trust me. Would you listen to me? That is not the voice of love. That is the voice of lust. 
He said the same thing to the last girl he pursued. Conversation continues in verse 16. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. What's that all about? She's saying, I've made some very costly and intentional arrangements and preparations just for you. I put all this money and time into this one night with you. And at this, at this point, I, I believe the young man's feeling excited. He's feeling special. But he's feeling nervous. Because the whole time, I guarantee you, he's thinking, what, what about your husband? How are we going to get away with this? Well, this, this lady has that covered too. She works to remove any fears he might have. Look at verse 18. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with love. For the good man, that's my husband, is not at home. He has gone a long journey. He had taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. Look up here. She makes the point that her husband was gone and had taken enough money to be gone not for a couple days, but at least for a couple weeks. She wants the young man to understand you won't get caught. There won't be any consequences. And that's essentially the same thing that, that, that Satan told Eve in the garden. Thou shalt not surely die. The woman, listen, does not seek to convince the young man that adultery is right. Are you studying with me? She only seeks to convince him that he can get away with it. It's a false promise. And the young man should have seen through her seductive appearance and her flirtatious speech. He should have had plied her unfaithfulness to her own husband to his own situation. He should have thought to himself, if she's being unfaithful to her husband, what makes me think that she'll be faithful to me? But he didn't. He stayed too long. He listened too long. He looked too long. He entertained her sweet kisses and flirtatious comments too long. And may I say this, you cannot hope to endure temptation. You have to learn how to escape sexual temptation. That's why the Apostle Paul said in the New Testament, twice, flee fornication. Don't mess with it. Don't stick around too long. John Kitchen again said this, I love it. If we are to flee immorality, then we must not flirt with temptation. We must not dawdle at the edges of what is permissible. We must not toy with the idea of sexual sin. Sadly, he who stops to play in the devil's neighborhood seldom ever leaves. Young Joseph understood this. As the most beautiful woman, Potiphar's wife, most beautiful woman in the house, cornered him. Day after day, trying to get him to sleep with her. The temptation got so strong that he knew, I can't stick around another second or I'm going to give in to this thing. She laid hold of his garment. And as quick as she laid hold on his garment, he got out of his garment. The book of Genesis 39 says he fled. He was convicted. I'm not giving up what I want most for something I want in the moment. I'm out of here. And some of you right now, some of you right now are sticking, uh, letting some, some things that are providing sexual temptation in your life, you're letting them stick around in your life too long. Some of you are letting some friendships 
hang out too long in your life, the friendships that continually lead you to the wrong place at the wrong time, when you're with these people, there's alcohol, and there's loose living, and there's filthy communication, and understand something, if you stick around that long enough, your mind will be affected, and we all know that how you think is ultimately how you behave. Some of you are holding on to your cell phone way too long. I've told you this before when men come in for counseling on pornography specifically. I ask them to get a strict filter on their phone or I ask them first of all to get rid of their phone completely. Then I ask if you can't do that because of work, then get a strict filter on your phone. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Eight out of ten good Christian men won't do it. They won't do it. They hang on to that stuff too long. It's one thing to take a step in the wrong direction, just like this young man did. It's a whole other thing to take a step of duration and just keep on stepping. You understand this young man could have turned around back in verse 8 or verse 9. The Bible says that whenever there is temptation, God makes a way of escape. But you do understand that sometimes we can ignore that escape door for so long that eventually we lose our chance. We get so deep into a temptation. We walk so long, we endure too long to the point where we can no longer turn around. That's what verse 21 shows us. Look at your Bible. With her much fair speech. He should have never let it get to much. She caused him to yield With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. She never laid a hand on him and said, get into my bedroom. It's not as though she made him say yes. But he let her stick around so long that he didn't feel like he could say no. And that's what happens when you stick around, let sexual temptation stick around too long in your life you don't have to say yes you never have to say yes but you don't feel like you can say no it's overtaken your heart and your mind which leads to the last most tragic step on the path of sexual sin and that's a step of destination which involves being trapped he uses four uh, metaphors would you look at it with me and we're we're getting down to the end of the text Verse 22, he goeth after her straightway as an ox, go to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Speaks of a criminal going to prison. Metaphor three, till a dart strike through his liver, that's a deer. Metaphor number four, as a bird hasteth to the snare. We know something about the ox. Maybe our closest equivalent would be a cow. We know something about cows getting slaughtered in liberal Kansas. Thousands of them a day at National Bee. Cow's just minding his business out in the pasture, chewing on his cud. All of a sudden, he gets hauled into a paddy wagon. Gets dropped off at National Bee. Before long, he's taken his last breath in that little pen on the kill floor. And I'll spare you the bloody details. I've been there. I've seen the whole thing. It's crazy. The cow has no idea what awaits him. And all of a sudden, he gets stunned in the forehead and gets his throat cut, and it's done. A fool to the stalk, Solomon said. We're talking about a criminal that 
thinks he's getting away with crime. When all of a sudden, late on a Friday night, he doesn't get a knock on the door, he gets his door knocked down. And he sees five or six or seven SWAT guys. Our brother Travis, a canine, coming in. Whoa, what? all of a sudden, he's caught. A deer that's just fallen his nose to a plot that a hunter has made all through the month of August. Yet it gets October time, and he's just doing what he's done every day. Little does he know he's about to get his dart through his, his liver, if you're a good shot. A bird that's just enjoying flying around until suddenly it's trapped. Are you catching his point? That is the destination of one who walks on the path of sexual sin and stays there too long. They will be trapped. But he gives us the, the takeaway in verse 23. Here's the point of the metaphors. Look at the very last line. And knoweth not that it is for his life. In other words, all four of these things were totally ignorant of their destination. They disconnected where they were going to where they would end up. And the one who walks down the path of sexual sin disconnects his direction from his destination. The young man in our text who wanted his life to be relationally richer chose a path that would ultimately undermine his relationship. The young man in our text was striving to prove his independence, yet chose a path that had the potential to strip him of his independence. There was a disconnect. Solomon saw it all the way from his window. And sadly, I've seen similar disconnects from my imaginary window as well. Teenage girls that want to attract a godly man, but dress in a way that attracts an ungodly man. Disconnect. A young man that wants to be pure-minded and save himself for his wife, but watches movies continually and listens to music continually with sexual innuendos and provocative scenes. Disconnect. A husband that wants to stay attracted to his wife through every season and stage of her life, but watches pornography and has no choice but to compare her to the image that, that, that is photoshopped and the video that is edited. Disconnect. A wife that wants her husband to invest in her and love her and cherish her and make her feel special but has no respect for him, nags him constantly and tears down every bit of confidence he has. Disconnect. Parents that desire godly, pure kids but let them date at a young age whoever they want. Let them wear whatever they want. Watch whatever they want. Listen to whatever they want. Stay out as late as they want and make church attendance an option. Disconnect. And may I preach to myself a church, a youth ministry, or a Christian school who wants to eternally impact young people for Christ and inspire in them sexual purity, but never talks about or preaches about the dangers of sexual sin, the complexities of homosexuality, the long-term effects of pornography on the brain, and provides an environment that is no different than a public school locker room. Disconnect. Do you see that the path of sexual sin is very easy to recognize in the text? A step of direction, going the wrong place. Led to a step of duration, staying too long. Which led to a step of destination, getting trapped. 
And at this point in Solomon's narrative, he turns a corner. And he speaks to his broader audience, which is you and me. And he closes in verse number 24 through 27. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths, lest you think that you're above this tonight. For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Look up here. Someone says, let me sum this all up. Don't take a single step in her direction. And if you think you've outgrown this temptation or it doesn't apply to you, Psalmist says, please no. Many weak have been wounded and many strong have been slain. It is a well-worn path with a predictable outcome. Destruction. Here's what he's saying to us in a statement. When it comes to sexual sin, if you want to avoid her trap, stay off her path. Just stay off. Don't even take a step in that direction. Elliot Spitzer was by all accounts a smarter than average man. He completed his undergraduate studies at Princeton University. He went on to study and get his doctorate in law at Harvard University. His rise to prominence began in the Manhattan district where they say he successfully nailed the infamous Gambino organized crime family. Years later, he, stir, he served as the state attorney general, and in that capacity, he became known as the sheriff of Wall Street, where they say he boldly tackled white-collar crime, securities fraud, mutual fund scandals, and price fixing. At age 47, he was elected governor of New York. He was a man on top of his game. That is until March 2008. When the New York Times uncovered a dark truth about this governor, he had been frequently hiring prostitutes. Within days, he fell from his lofty political perch to become the laughing stock of David Letterman and Jay Leno on late night TV. And I ask how? How did a guy with such a promising career suddenly fall? Well, there was nothing sudden about it. His fall was inevitable. The end of his story was determined years ago when he took the first step onto the path of sexual sin and he stayed there too long. When he chose a direction, hear me, he chose a destiny. A destiny of disgrace and dishonor. If you want to know how to protect yourself from this, you need to read the first four verses of Proverbs 7. The ones I skipped on purpose. Just go home and read them. Basically, they teach us this. You better stay connected to this book. Because in it is the wisdom you need. Watch to connect the dots between the choices you make and the outcomes you experience. And so when you go home tonight, get in this book. Before you go to work tomorrow, get in this book. Before you go to work on Tuesday, get in this book. Because this book will keep you from sin. Or sin will keep you from this book. That's how we safeguard. And young people, hear me. 
You'll never get caught in sexual sin's trap if you just keep yourself from taking one step on her path. Don't mess around with it. Don't even mess around with it. It has slain some of the strongest men I've ever known in my life. And it's going to slay me if I'm not vigilant. And it's going to slay our pastor if he's not vigilant. And it's going to slay our missionary if he's not vigilant. So we better take heed tonight. This is a very, very important message for our church, for our marriages, for our single adults, for our teenagers, for our college students. Everybody on the sound of my voice, this is so important to you. And it's important for me. So let's mind God in our response tonight. Would you stand?